Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. The show is a breakout from the CBS News Weekend Roundup, and every week we discuss issues including gender and religion. This week, we're talking about a debate in the LGBTQ community on whether to update displays of the rainbow pride flag. That's drummers at a global pride event held earlier this month in Sweden. It kicked off a 10-day multinational LGBTQ plus festival. People at the celebration proudly flew, or wore, the familiar flag designed by Gilbert Baker with six stripes ranging from red to purple. But from New York City to San Francisco, LGBTQ organizations are considering switching to what's known as the Progress Pride flag. It adds black, brown, light blue, white, and pink stripes, recognizing people of color and transgender members of the community. The Castro Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, and Queer Cultural District in San Francisco has recommended replacing the original pride flag flying over the LGBTQ community there with the progressive flag and plans to release a survey on that idea next month. I asked Eric Stanley, a professor of gender and women's studies at the University of California, Berkeley, to explain that conversation after this short break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The rainbow flag, as you said, um, you know, has been used as um, the the kind of quasi-official gay pride flag for a long time. Um, and more recently, um, an artist developed um, what is what people are calling a progressive pride flag, which incorporates um, black and brown in it, as well as the uh, pink and blue, which are the colors from the trans um, pride flag. So it was an attempt to be more inclusive um, and kind of revision what... Uh, you know, maybe possibly a trans and queer pride flag might look like. Um, and so that was done. And there's a whole bunch of different versions of, of this flag um, and other flags as well. And so um, the pushback has been, at least in San Francisco, which is where I live, um, you know, there's the kind of iconic um, pride flag that flies at um, Harvey Milk Plaza in Castro at Market and Castro Street. Um and that pride flag seems to be rather curiously owned by, or at least um, governed by the Castro Merchants Association, right, which are business owners. Um, and uh, there's been several attempts to, f- to fly alternative flags, the trans flag, um, the progressive pride flag, and um, there's been a lot of pushback, right? So the Merchants, the Merchants Association has said, no, you can't do that. Um, and so now there's this kind of standoff around this flag. So for people that don't understand, I know that there has been, uh, shall we say, some unpleasantness between some factions of this community because 
There are some that feel that black and brown people have not been represented. Their contributions have not been represented. And some of that is behind this progressive flag. But I think a lot of people also don't know that there's been some pushback with trans and queer people who also don't feel included. Sure. I mean, it's well documented that the Castro is a space, you know, of hypercapitalism, of white supremacy, of cis, you know, cis normativity. Um, it has long been hostile to black and brown people. This is well documented. It has long been hostile to trans people, to trans and queer homeless youth, to people that don't have $2 million to buy a condo, which is, you know, the average price of a home in the Castro at this point. Um, right. And so this, this kind of comes in that longer um, legacy of, of racism, of, um, you know, kind of trans antagonism against many of, uh, many of us that don't fit within the kind of white, moneyed, um, cisgender, gay, and lesbian political order that kind of rules San Francisco. And I know that you yourself have talked fairly extensively about how the fact that uh, black and brown people have been deeply involved in the in the battle for equality, right? All, all the way back to the Compton cafeteria riots, which I think a lot of people also don't know about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's right. The what what, what we now understand is the trans or queer movement in the United States um, hasn't just included black, brown, and indigenous people, but black, brown, and indigenous people have been central central to that movement, right? Um, there would be no movement without. Um, the organizing work without the kind of sacrifice, without um, all the all the contributions that people have um, given. And so I think that it's really important to highlight that. Right. It's um, our collective liberation is built through, um, you know, the, the struggle and the work of people that have been historically and continue to be thrown out of movement space, out of um, public space. And right. This is a kind of recapitulation of that same um, that same set of set of issues. I wonder what you think about the optics of all this, right? I mean, there's been years of protest. I mean, after George Floyd, I mean, there are all these protests about, you mm-hmm. know, fighting racism. And you would think, or I guess most people would assume that the LGBTQ community would be trying to be as, in, as inclusive as possible. But it sounds like there's a lot of class wars going on. Yes, I think class war is the actually actually the uh, correct way to put it. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I feel a couple of different ways about it. Like what I and I've talked about this before, but I'm actually like the flag itself doesn't matter to me. And I'm 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 also kind of surprised that they didn't, didn't just put it up because that would be the kind of quintessential San Francisco thing to put up the kind of multiculturalized fl- flag without um improving the material conditions of the people that it assumes to represent, right? That's usually what San Francisco does. Um, and so I'm surprised they didn't just do that. So this is actually kind of a different twist on that, right? They won't even get to that, 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 that point, um, you know, but I think that, um, yeah. And so of course the optics look horrible. I mean, it looks in a certain sense, right? The cat to me, I think that, um, you know, the kind of more conservative bent of um, the people that want to, uh, maintain the the other the the older pride flag um you know are are making their politics incredibly clear right they're not even invested or interested in you know even the most minimal symbolic inclusion or 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 social change right and the other thing is i i know there have been so many transgender women of color killed over the last few years and one of the arguments of their advocates is that because the larger community is ignoring the conditions that they live in and ignoring the dangers that they're dealing with so what, how is there a way to solve this? 
Well, um, the big question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, again, kind of taking it back to a materialist analysis, I think that um, what might help to alleviate, alleviate the unending violences that uh, many uh, trans women of color, um, particularly Black and Indigenous women, um, you know, are forced to survive under are, you know, things like actually affordable um, and supportive housing, right? That's an incredibly huge issue in San Francisco. There's no affordable, I mean, almost no affordable housing in the Castro in particular, right? Um, you know, access to healthcare that's supportive um, and free, um, you know, and I think that, that, that to me, if we're going to confront those forms of violence, we have to think on that level as well, right? We can't um, hyper-personalize or hyper-individualize it because we need radical structural change. That's, to me, the only thing that's actually going to um, create the conditions where people can live full, beautiful lives. And this is not just happening in San Francisco, right? I mean, in New York City, I think there's been a bit of drama about this at the uh, LGBTQ Community Center. And Philly, I think, recently, or in the last couple of years, unveiled a new version of its pride flag, which does feature the black and brown stripes. So this is not just relegated to San Francisco and to rich folk. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, it's it's um, happening all over the place. And we're seeing this kind of, um, you know, and I'm not, I, I, you know, I don't think that it should just only be understood in a, in a kind of generational way, because there's younger people and older people on, on both sides of this, right? But I think, um, taking it back to one of your earlier points, I actually think, um, you know, race and class and gender are all at the center of this controversy, right? Um, and I think that, yeah, that that's just important to always um, remember. Is this just as basic as as some of the people I know are saying, well, you know, well off white gay men and lesbian people don't want to be associated with trans or queer because they think of them as other somehow? Yeah, I mean, I think that that, um, you know. When, when, when one speaks its, it's, uh, its political ideology, it's important to listen. And I think that, like you said before, this is, you know, uh, kind of mit- the, the symbolic materialization of um, what they actually think, right? Um, I think that they are invested in holding on to a kind of, um, you know, at this point, ruling class, white moneyed um, version of the Castro that is, you know, um, welcoming to mostly straight tourists, um, and, you know, people that make millions of dollars that can afford to live there. And the rest of us have no place there. And they've made that clear, you know, through generations, right? Marlon Riggs in his film Tongues Untied, um, you know, documented this, and this is 20 some years ago. So this is not a kind of, um, for anybody that knows the history of San Francisco, this is not a, a new revelation. Um, but to your point, it is a little interesting that they won't even... Um, pretends like they're interested in some form of even symbolic inclusion, right? I mean, years ago, um, we were trying to get a homeless, trans, and queer youth shelter built in the Castro, and it was the same kinds of people, if not the exact same people themselves, that fought against that, right? Because they didn't want, quote-unquote, you know, homeless people in their neighborhood. And they're also at the forefront of the street sweeps, of sweeping up houseless people. And we know that trans and queer people of color are disproportionately houseless in San Francisco, right? So it's a war on um, trans and queer uh, people of color and low-income people in San Francisco. And this is just a kind of another iteration of that. Okay. And just really briefly, there's supposed to be some other 
some other discussion about this next month, right, with the advisory board and community and what they're going to do, whether they're going to put up a second flagpole or figure out what else they might do? Yeah, that's my understanding. And it's also moving all the time. And I'm not directly, uh, I'm, not, I'm not directly part of any of the organizing because I, <laughs> it's a flag. Um, but um, yeah, I, the way that I understand it is that there, you know, there's a kind of counter proposal that the Castro business merchants did, uh, suggested that would put another flagpole across the street. So it's, it's kind of hilarious, um, you know. And again, I guess I just want to reiterate that while this is going on, there are, you know, houseless trans and queer people dying on the streets of the Castro with, with nowhere to live. And I think that that is actually where our energies should be focused. That's gender and women's studies professor Eric Stanley at the University of California, Berkeley. One note the Castro merchants say creation of an alternative space would reflect two sincere beliefs. Symbols can change over time, yet queer history matters. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, thanks to Ashley Armstrong for her production assistance. Like what you hear? Come back for more. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Monday. Follow the show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.